Well, we're all here for a similar reason, and you've heard me say something like this before. Knowingly or unknowingly, we all came here with at least a faint hope that something would occur that would be worthwhile of our time, that it would improve our life, the quality of our life. We get an insight, we get inspired, something would move us, but, but we didn't come here thinking that this would be a blowout of our time. We're, we were hoping that it might be a value. Every human being, as long as they're alive on this planet, every human being that's ever lived in human history, we are driven by this desire to elevate the quality of our life. We want to live the best life we can, the happiest life that we can. And we go through life experimenting with things to try to figure out what might bring that elusive highest happiness in life. Now, what I've said before, and you'll hear me repeat this frequently, is that when a human being knowingly or unknowingly aligns our life, our life, with the way we're designed, sometimes we do it by accident. We don't even know we're doing it, but we're living our life based on the way God has designed us. It elevates the quality of our life. For example, just in the simple realm, you know, we were uh, created beings that are physical. We have to drink water every three days or so. So if you do that, elevates the quality of your life. You need six to eight hours sleep, elevates the quality of your life. So if you accidentally or deliberately do it, it elevates the quality of your life. So, this God of ours, this creator, it says that he is love personified. He is driven. All that he does, he's driven by sacrificial love. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't really want anything except to extend the blessedness that he himself experiences to as many as he can. And the way that he does this is that he became the servant of his entire creation. Jesus talked about that he came to serve, to give his life as a servant. It says that we are made in the image of God. And if God himself is a servant, it's a little bit echoey, a little bit loud back there. Uh, if God himself is a servant, then that means your design, you got to let this one sink in. This is where we start. Your design and my design, my inner nature and your inner nature is to be a servant and that means that the quality of your life and my life will always be missing something until I step into this component of my identity and become the servant made in the image of God that I'm created to be. Now, sometimes this feels like a burden. In fact, some of you perhaps are even thinking right now, you know, Randy, you don't know what I'm doing in life right now. You have no idea what I'm going through. You, you, know, you don't understand. I'm hanging on by a string just to get through 24 hours and now you want to talk to me about yet more, more I have to do. You're, you're going to make me feel uncomfortable and guilty on top of feeling already stressed out beyond what I can deal with. It's not at all. Whenever God equips us, or when, let me rephrase it, whenever God calls us to do something, he equips us to do it. But I know what you're feeling. Matter of fact, uh, this is a little embarrassing, but... I mean, I'm just going to assume you people do care. Um, i got a little bit of a financial problem. Um, could, could any of you guys help me out? I, I mean, you know, just would you consider helping me out? Can I see the hands of anybody would consider? Okay, what I need is $100,000. Did I just lose anybody? <laughs> you say, Randy, I'd like to help you, man, but I have nothing. I, I can't even touch, which, and I don't really need that. Uh, but if your name, if your name was Bill Gates and you felt toward me the way that you said you felt you wanted to help and you were Bill Gates, you have $110 billion. 
And that would mean you could not only give me $100,000, you could give me $100,000 today and every day for the rest of this year, 365 days. And you could give me $100,000, 365 days a year for 3,283 years. You never feel it. Here's where I'm going with this. Some of us, when we hear this talk about Oh, man, God created us to be a servant, and so we really start to become activistic servants, actually serving. We're not fully human. We're not fully alive, and we feel like, but I have nothing. I can't do anything. I have nothing left. It's all I can do to put one foot in front of another. You're asking me for something I don't have, and that's not true. We go through life with a scarcity mentality because we haven't learned to sufficiently depend upon our creator and his power and to have confidence that if he calls me to be something, to do something, he will equip me to be that something and to do that something. And as I'm willing by faith, by trust to step into it, I will discover things that bring me alive. They don't push me down. They don't break me. They make me. And so it calls for a bit of attention in that initial step of faith. Listen, if you've trusted Christ and you're his follower, you have all the power and the wealth of God himself available to you, available to me. Therefore, servanthood is always not just possible, it always should be. It's who we are, and God will more than empower us to do what he's called us to do. Now, I want to take you to a portion of Scripture today where the Apostle Paul is writing to followers of Christ living in a city called Corinth. And it's a most interesting portion of Scripture. It's where he takes the conglomerate uh, body or, or conglomerate congregational group of Christians and he compares us to a human body. It says that just like when Jesus gave up his body on the cross to win back our trust, now we become his hands, or we're meant to become his hands and his feet and his mouth and his eyes and so forth. We become his many-membered body. Go ahead and turn to page 1294, I believe it is, and his Bible's near you on your chair. You'll be in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're looking at today the idea of the servant's mission. We want to talk a lot today about finding your God-given mission. But 1 Corinthians, find your place there in chapter 12. And I'm going to jump you around a little bit, so bear with me. Be flexible. Start in verse 27 of chapter 12. And again, it's just speaking to ordinary individuals that have put their trust in Christ and become his followers. It says, now you are, you tell me, Christ's body. And each of you is a member of it. Go from there to verse 18. So I'm going backwards. Go to verse 18. But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as, what does it say? He decided. So I have a place in the body. Maybe I'm a finger, maybe I'm an eye, maybe I'm a stomach, maybe I'm a toe, I don't know. But I have a God-given place in the body of Christ if I'm a Christ follower. But I don't decide. I don't decide. I don't look at your place in the body of Christ and say, I want your place. I have to accept the place that God gives me, and that's the best place. It's the place that's the very best to be. So, okay, glance with me, if you would, at verse 4. It says, now there are different gifts. These are gifts given by the Holy Spirit for service or servanthood. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries or ways to serve, but the same Lord. So here it says there's lots of different, we each have a different place in the body of Christ and there's lots of different ways to serve and God's given us lots of different spiritual capacities, giftings, enablements to do so. They don't look alike, they're different. 
Look at verse 7. It says, to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The benefit of all. That means you, if you have put your trust in Christ, you have a gifting, a manifestation, an enablement, an ability given by the Spirit of God to serve and contribute to the life of Jesus flowing through the body of Christ or a local church. Look, if you would, at verse 11. It is the one and the same Spirit distributing as, what does it say? Two words? He decides. I don't decide what spiritual gift that I want. I don't pray for a certain spiritual gift or a certain ministry. or faith. I don't look at what you're doing and say, God, I want to do what they're doing because I think that looks better than what I feel like I can do. No, 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 no. It says he decides. He decides. He puts me in the place I'm supposed to be in the body of Christ. He decides what abilities and gifts he's going to give me. This is important for us to understand. It is the one and the same spirit distributing as he decides to each person, does that mean that each person has, each Christ follower has a manifestation, a power, an enablement, a gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it does. Now, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Please understand what this means. Have you put your trust in Christ and become his follower? And by that, you're saying that, you know, I've ceased to trust in my own way of thinking and living life, and I have now put my trust supremely in Christ, the one that created the universe and died on the cross to prove his love for me. I am now going to live trusting in him. I'm going to live life his way. I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to follow him fully. Everything he says do, I'm going to do. Everything he says don't do, I'm going to stop doing. And I'm going to follow him freely because he's won my trust. I want to follow him, and I am going to follow him forever. That's what it means to be a Christian, folks. Don't let anybody deceive you about that. It is putting trust in Christ and becoming his follower. But if that describes you, raise your hand. I want to see who you are. I'm serious. If you're a follower of Christ, let me just see your hand then you have a spiritual gift or gifts. You have a divine enablement, empowerment to serve. Now, before you get all jazzed up about it, start bonking, bonking people on the head to heal them and things. Let, let, let's, 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 let's keep our cool here. But that's where we want to start. Now, I'm going to pick up again reading in verse 18. We read it once, but I'm going to repeat it again, and we're going to kind of continue some verses after that. Verse 18. But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided, not as we decide. If they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I do not need you. Listen carefully to this next verse. On the contrary, those members that seem to be the weaker are, what is the word? Essential. 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 Now, I want to read you the following verses in um, a version of the Bible. It's, it's really a paraphrase. I don't recommend it very much. But in this case, it's very colorful and helpful. It's called The Message. Eugene Peterson wrote it. But here's how the message picks up, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are what? A part of, a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a what? A monster. It goes on. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. 
Can you imagine an eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you, or a head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. It goes on. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic, and therefore, what is the word? Necessary. You're going to see where this goes in a minute. Necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. True, right? Eyes are a lot more attractive, though, right? But not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body, you are concerned with it. It makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. And then it goes on. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, every part of your body, without comparisons, without comparisons. We're not to compare ourselves to each other, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to, what does it say? Full-bodied hair. But the full-bodied hair is what you want to look at. Look at this. Just look, look at this. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. There it is. That draws your eyes, right? Not this. This doesn't draw. This, we don't like looking at it. You've got to come. You've got to, got to follow with me back there. We must be having a technical difference. Yeah. Does everybody know what that is? That's your stomach. Yes. So it's saying some people, you've got to listen to it. You've got to let this part sink in. Some people in the body of Christ, equipped by the Spirit of God, do what they do in the center of God's will. They are fulfilling their God-given mission, but they are not recognized. They are not noticed. They may not be appreciated for their value. They may do what they do behind the scenes, and they should not envy or compare themselves to others that are visible as though the visible ones are more important. Hair is a lot more better to look at. It draws a lot more attention than stomach. But the stomach is where the magic is, right? It doesn't matter how much you eat on Thanksgiving. The stomach does the magic and distributes it all through the body, and it becomes life and energy and cells and all these things. So listen one more time, Christian. You may have been called and equipped of God to fulfill a role, your God-given ministry, to serve in an inconspicuous place. Let me go further. An invisible place, a place where few other than God himself knows that the service is going on, and yet it may be more important than the service that everybody sees. Can you accept that? And your service may be unnoticed, unrecognized, unappreciated except by God himself. And other parts of the body may get a lot of attention and a lot of notice and a lot of appreciation. But that doesn't mean that they're more important. That's where we have to start in this venture to find my, your, our God-given mission. Here's the truth now. Here's the truth. You just raised your hand a minute ago, and you said you've put your trust in Christ. You're a Christ follower. You are equipped by the Spirit of God to be a servant. Jesus is the great servant. You have a specific God-given ministry. Yours is different than mine. Mine is different than yours. Yours is not like anyone else's. And you are perfectly equipped to fulfill that ministry. And eye does what it does just because it's eye. Stomach does what it does because it's stomach. You are perfectly equipped for your God-given ministry. So what I want to do today is I want to help you pin this down because I know that some of you, you're like, Randy, I, I just, I'm not sure about this stuff. Remember I referred to a book uh, a couple weeks ago? 
It's called the uh, 2080 principle or the other, other 80%. In the book, The Other 80%, researchers Scott Thuma and Warren Burns state that most churches are actually run by 20% of the congregation. The other 80%, they say, tend to act like, what is the word? Spectators, consumers, those that expect to be served. Whereas Jesus wants us to go through life saying, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? What can I give to you? Not what can you do for me? What are you going to give me? What am I going to get out of this? So technically, when we read that portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ and the working of the Spirit to equip every member to serve, that statistic shouldn't exist. Every local church ought to have 100% of the Christ followers, at least, active in serving. It should not be that 20% are carrying all the way, doing all the serving, doing all the giving and all that kind of thing. That's something that should not be. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that's what it is here in this church. We haven't done a st statistical study in a while, but there's no reason to believe that that's so. But every church can improve on this for sure. So, okay, now we're going to get right into it. We're going, we're going to help you. I guarantee you, I'm going, I'm going to give you something. In fact, I'm going to ask you first. How many in here today... You are willing, if I can show you how to find your God-given ministry, if I can absolutely show you the process that will guarantee you finding your unique God-given ministry, if I'm willing to show you that process today, how many of you, you'll already pledge in advance. If you'll show me the process, Randy, I'm on board. I, I, will, I will fulfill my God-given ministry. Can I see your hands? Okay. Thank you for the honesty. Here we go. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, writing to followers of Christ living in Ephesus, he says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God, what? Predestined, planned beforehand. The good works, your good works, God planned them. They're just for you. They're perfect fit. They're a perfect match. They're planned beforehand for us taking the paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. It's unique to you. It's unique to me. It's perfect as a match. So we have to at least start by acknowledging that I, you, we, we have a God-given ministry. Can you accept that? Can you accept that? You're going to find in a message coming up in this series how critical it is that we discover what that ministry is and that we live it out. Now, when it comes to this whole thing of, you know, finding our God-given ministry, uh, people have different notions. I mean, a lot of people, they, they want God to just tell them. They want God to just show up. They want him to paint a picture or to give them a vision or to give them a weird dream or something like that. But, but they like God to say, do this, don't do that. Go here, don't go there. It's kind of like a GPS. They want a divine GPS where God just tells you exactly what to do, what your God-given mission is. There's a lady up in Boston. She was following her GPS. GPS told her, turn right onto some railroad tracks. Well, when those robot overlords tell you to do something, you do it, right? Even though it looks insane, you do it. She got stuck on the railroad tracks. She had two kids in the back of her minivan, so she had a decision to make. She hops out of her minivan, left it there on the tracks, which created quite a problem for 70 people on the oncoming train. And you can see the result. Uh, it got all mashed up. So God is not, does not want to, and is not, going to guide you and I into our God-given ministry or mission by robot-like guidance. 
He wants you and I to grow up, to mature, to so understand his word, his will, his ways, his heart, his mind, that we're easy. We're, we, can, we can take initiative ourselves, and he can move us as we take initiative. He's not going to tell you, do this, don't do that, when it comes to finding your God-given ministry. Others of us, we feel like it's an all or nothing thing. If I don't find that exact thing, if I don't find that exact specific thing that God wants me to do, oh, oh my whole life is a blowout, it's a wreck. And you feel like it's, it's an image like this, like walking a tightrope. It's like, oh my goodness, I've got to find the exact thing. But it's not true either. It's not true. There's lots of width. There's lots of breadth. There's lots of flexibility. Here's the truth. It is easy to find your God-given ministry. It is easy to fulfill your God-given ministry because it's made by God for you. It's not made for anybody else. It's more like this. It's more like this road that goes through Australia for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Really boring, really wide, but you don't lose your balance on that. You can see everything. It's, it's easy to know what it is up ahead. That is the way your God-given ministry or mission is. It's not something that's hard to discover. Now, I told you I was going to give you the key. I'm going to give you the process. This is, this is God's guarantee to each and every person in here. If you want... To fulfill, if you want to find and fulfill your God-given ministry, you want to find it first, here is the process. You're going to say, Randy, you've shared that verse with us before. Yes, I have. Here it is. Paul writing to followers of Christ in Galatia. So seize, grab, seize any what? Opportunity, opportunity that the Lord gives you to do what? Now, is that clear? Do you have opportunities to do good things almost every day of your life? How many would agree with that statement? You have opportunities. They're all around. They're in your house. They're on the street. They're in your neighborhood. They're at your place where you work. Where They're there all the time. So what is, what is the pro process? Seize them. Seize them. Seize any opportunity the Lord gives you to do good things, to be a blessing to who? Everyone, we could add everywhere, all the time, especially those within our faithful family, so within the church. So here is how you find, I guarantee you, you can hold, hold me to it on the judgment seat of Christ. You can say, Randy, you told me if I did this, I would find my God-given mission. Yes, you will. Do the things right in front of you right now. Do the good things that are easy. They're right in front of you. They're, they're, at your, they're in your family. They're in your, amongst your friends. They're at your job. They're all around. They're in the church. Seize any opportunity to do good. You start down that path. Your God-given mission, it is not one thing usually. It is a movement. It is a lifetime of moving in and out of things. You go through different seasons in life. Sometimes you're, you're, you're busier than others. Sometimes you're healthy. Sometimes you're not. There's all these different reasons. But if you just practice this, I guarantee you, you will absolutely find and fulfill, well, maybe fulfill, you'll at least find your God-given ministry. There's one other principle. Romans 12, Paul writing to the followers of Christ in Rome, he told them, don't be what? That's insulting. <laughs> don't be lazy when what is needed? Hard work. Your God-given mission is not always going to be easy, breezy, peachy, happy, make you feel good. I, I mean, think about it. Is everything, is everything good? Is everything that's worthwhile, is it easy? No. How many of you have raised kids? Was it easy? No. But it was worthwhile. It was worth it. Don't be lazy when hard work is needed, but serve the Lord with spiritual fervor. 
okay? So this is our responsibility to keep the fervor up. So your invitation to find your God-given mission, if you know about some hard work that needs to be done, particularly in the context of a local church, but it could be in your own household, do it. Do it. That's the pathway. Seize every opportunity to do good. Do it. You will find your God-given mission. All right. Once you find it, though, that doesn't necessarily mean we'll fulfill it. There's a lot of things that can distract us. There's a lot of things that can discourage us. There's a lot of things that can get us off of our task, so to speak. Remember, we all have a unique place in the body of Christ, and we're meant to fulfill that. So fulfilling our God-given ministry or mission, it first means I've got to have my priorities right. I need to focus on that unique set of things that I am equipped by God to do. And every one of us is equipped by God to do a unique set of things. But they might not be the things you want to do. What, what if God's equipped you to, to be the stomach? You know, you're hidden away. Nobody appreciates you. No, nobody likes what you do. Nobody thinks about what you do. And you want to be the mouth. You could end up discouraged, frustrated, envious, jealous, bitter, angry. But all you've got to do is be who God meant you to be. Accept it. Walk in it. Seize the opportunities. And then put some priorities together. Listen to the Apostle Paul talking about his own ministry. He says, but whether I live or die is not important, for I don't esteem my life as indispensable. It's more important. What do you consider more important in your life, Paul? It's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has what? Assigned to me. In Paul's case, it was, which is to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. You need to, I need to faithfully fulfill the task that God has assigned. And he has assigned one. And as we fulfill that task, it builds us, it develops us, it energizes us. It brings peace, it brings joy, it brings challenge, it stretches us. It moves us in and out of experiences that are, that are crucial to us experiencing life in its fullness. It does not take away, it adds to, albeit it may involve hard work and it may always mean jumping out of the comfort zone and reprioritizing our life to some degree. Here's one more principle to fulfilling. If we really want to fulfill it once we find it, Paul writing to followers of Jesus in Colossae, he says, whatever you do, really broad statement, whatever you do, work at it how? With all your what? With all your heart. You want to fulfill your God-given mission? You've got to put yourself into it. You've got to give yourself to it. You've got to put heart and soul and energy into it as though you were working for who? Because we are and not for people. You see, you can apply this in any realm of life. You can apply it in your work situation. You can apply it in housework, around the house. You can apply it in anything. Do what we do with all of our heart, but do it for the Lord, not for people. That's a powerful principle to give us the passion, to maintain the passion and energy we need to fulfill our God-given mission. One last one in 1 Peter 4. Now, Peter does something interesting. He divides all the spiritual capacities that God gives into just two categories, all the spiritual gifts that God gives in two categories. He says, whoever speaks, so he divides them into speaking gifts and serving or hands-on type of gifts. Whoever speaks, let it be with what? God's words. And I said this in the first sermon, I'm going to say it again. Any ministry, any minister, or any church that is not 
grounding all that it does, all that it teaches in God's word, if it doesn't come from God's word, rooted in God's word, filled with God's word, if it's not stirring the people of God to get into God's word and let God's word get into them, if it's just my clever ideas, if, it, if that's all it is, if, if it's just my motivational talk or my TED talk, it is worthless, useless. Jesus says it's his words that will endure to eternity, not my words. I don't trust me. I don't trust any, uh, any thoughts that I have unless they come directly from God's word. And you that have been around me for any length of time, you know this church it is built rooted in God's word and I do not trust my own ingenuity but I do trust God's word entirely so when we're exercising a speaking gift it's got to be governed by the word of God whoever speaks let it be with God's words whoever serves do so with the strength that what God supplies now God either does supply strength or he doesn't he says that he does that means I have, you have, we have the strength to fulfill our God-given mission, even though we may not feel like we do at certain seasons in life. So that in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. So here you have it. The key to finding your God-given mission, it's as simple as what's right in front of you. What is the good that you can do right in front of you? Because that will lead to yet one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. You're growing, you're developing, you're moving, your capacities are being enlarged, and God will get you. You will fulfill your God-given mission. But you've got to prioritize. You've got to put it first. You've got to trust that every other, every other priority in your life will be fulfilled. You've got to trust that you won't get cheated, you know, that you'll miss out on something. You can't miss out on something if you belong to your creator. He's going to give you more than you could ever imagine in this life and far, far more than you can imagine and I can imagine in the life to come. Can never outgive God. One last key thing about fulfilling our God-given mission is a guy named Adam Sikinski, and he's an Australian life coach, and he speaks about a principle of consistency. He says to be consistent means to fully dedicate yourself completely to a task, activity, or goal. It means to fully stay engaged without what? Without distraction. To be consistent requires a commitment on your part. It requires that you commit yourself to a sustained effort of action over the long term. One more slide. Consistency is the key. Success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. It's way better to do things that are good consistently each day. Do a little bit, if that's all you can do each day, than do a, a lot and then not do anything for long periods of time. Consistency builds. It builds strength. It builds spiritual stamina. It builds capacity. What we couldn't do before, we will be able to do if we start doing what feels tough for us to do now. Let me repeat that. What we couldn't do at all, we will be able to do if we start doing right now what might feel and look a little tough, but when we do it, it develops us. It strengthens us. It expands us until we can do what at one point we couldn't do. How many of you guys ate on Thanksgiving dinner? You ate? Okay. You, not a one of you have always been able to eat. There was a time when somebody had to feed you. And every time you tried to eat, you just stuck it in your ear and your eye and on your head and everything. And now your master's at it. Man, you handle that fork so, you know, I mean, <laughs> consistency. What you couldn't do, you will be able to do with ease if you stick with it. Little, 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 little. That's how you fulfill your God-given mission. So 
Some of us just need to start at grassroots because I can't fulfill my God-given mission until I'm rightly connected to my creator, Christ. It says that, I'm made, that I was made by Christ and for Christ. And apart from him, my life won't hold together, won't go here. I won't have the energy. I won't have the vision. I won't have what it takes. So some of us need to consider, is it time for me to stop following myself and my own ideas about life and it's a time for me to say, you know, I'm, I mean business now. I'm going to put my trust in Christ and become his follower. I'm going to learn his will. I'm going to learn his word. I'm going to learn his ways. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do, whatever he tells me to learn. Whatever he tells me to stop, I'm going to stop. Whatever he tells me to start, I'm going to start. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be a Christ follower. That's where some of us need to start. Now, Jesus says he gives eternal life and forgiveness of sins to all that are just willing to put their trust in him and follow him. And then there's some of us, though, we've been foggy. We, we've been off about this God-given mission thing. It makes us nervous. It makes us uncomfortable. We think it's like walking a tightrope. We've got to get a vision from God. got to have a dream. We've got to know exactly what it is. It's not exact. It's is. It's what's right in front of your nose. It's those circumstances that you and I tend to consider inconsequential every day. And they're not. I suppose some people at the judgment seat of Christ might be rewarded much higher than others, and they were never known. Nobody ever appreciated that they did anything. They might have been thought of as lazy, but maybe behind the scenes. They prayed for the work of God all over the world. They prayed for local churches. They prayed for people to do what I do. And they are like the stomach. They do this magical work behind the scenes that nobody but God and them knows about. They are worshipers that go unnoticed. Just be you. Just be the you that God made you to be, the Christ-like version of yourself, and fulfill your God-given ministry. I've shown you now the sure way to find your God-given ministry. Take it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit will just give us new courage, new determination, new joy, new expectation, new anticipation that we will not only find, we will fulfill that unique developmental God-given ministry that you have just for us. It's in Christ's name I ask it. Amen.